<clears throat> we have just barely over a half hour, so we'll get through what we're able to. Um, <clears throat> Mike mentioned last week that uh, if you're relying on your spouse to be happy, uh, it's not going to go so well. And that in order to be happy, there's things you have to do in yourself, for yourself. And this class is going to be different than most of the classes. If I talked about what makes you happy specifically in regards to marriage, I would probably be repeating a lot of what you've heard over this whole quarter. And it might be good, it might be a good reminder, but I wanted to talk about things, uh, what science says makes for happiness. Um, so <clears throat> a couple things, I want to hit on a few things that I would typically talk about with people uh, as it relates to happiness, and then some of the misconceptions or things that people do trying to get happiness that don't really work, and then talk about some things that do work. And I'm curious, uh, some of you have probably been sad and probably been happy and probably worked to be happy. Uh, what, are, what are things that you know about or speculate that are things that lead to... First, um, what, are, what are things that you're pretty sure don't work very well as it relates to happiness? The, the, whatever the one more thing is, like if I made, I'll be happy when five thousand dollars more a year, or if we could just get our kid to the next grade, or whatever that one more thing is, that tends not to satisfy, in my experience. Yeah, I'll be happy once I get to high school. I'll be happy once I graduate. Right, I'll be happy once right. I get to college. I'll yeah. be happy once I get a real job. I'll be happy once I get married. Once we have kids. Once I retire. <laughs> Yeah, and so if you can decide, I'll be happy now. Like, there was a time when I was wanting to be in this state. Maybe I can just enjoy it. What are, what are things that you're, you've either heard or you've practiced that you think actually do contribute to happiness? Gratitude. That's a good one. That's one I talk about. I think the tried and true, it's better to give than to receive, brings happiness or more happiness. Yeah. Or maybe long-lasting happiness. You know, receiving you get very short happiness maybe, but that new thing you receive, if the thing it wears off and you forget about it, and you're just looking for your next thing, so. Yeah. When you give, it has a lasting effect in my mind. Yeah, giving more than receiving, I'm, I'll do my best to repeat so that the podcast audience can hear if anybody decides to listen. Um, yeah, and um, there's, I had a comment based off what you just said, um, but it slipped my mind, so maybe I'll get back to it. Other things? Not comparing yourself to other people, like seeing people going on these fancy vacations, you know, having all these nice things, and mm -hmm. you know, comparing <clears throat> is a stealer of 
Could people think of other things that suck joy out of them? I know the, th the comment I was going to make is some of, some of it may be about either semantics or how you define terms like with happiness versus joy if, it, if it's the kind of thing that just makes you feel good right there in the moment with like an immediate gratification sort of a thing versus a long-lasting substantial what I would tend to refer to as joy. Other things that steal happiness away? Stressors. Like? I mean, work, or maybe just anything that bogs you down or um, can make you uptight. Work, worry, yeah. So, <clears throat> a couple things that um, that I talk about in therapy. Um, one, avoiding pain is a lot of people's natural default, um, but avoiding pain tends to prolong and exacerbate pain, um, which I may have mentioned in one of the other classes I was teaching. Um, but that. Again, going back to that, if I'm avoiding pain, a lot of times I might be striving for immediate gratification, which uh, is almost never as good as delayed gratification. Um, <clears throat> one thing I talk about in, in, if someone comes in and they're depressed, and I'll, I'll tell them, if I had to give an elevator pitch, like I'm in an elevator, someone comes in and says, boy, I'm feeling really depressed, do you have any advice? There's two things I'm going to mention, um, and it's getting outside of self, and it's practicing gratitude. And um, I had a professor in my master's program that said depression is extreme self-focus, which makes a lot of sense to me. And um, to do the opposite of that would be to get outside of yourself. How can you love and serve other people? Going back to it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then... Instead of focusing on what you don't have, uh, focusing on what you do have and that you're appreciative for, what you're grateful for, and um, there, I could spend the whole rest of class and second service listing off things that you probably have that you could be grateful for, but you tend to take for granted. Um, so I look around in here. Most everybody has hair. <laughs> you know, like, that's some, you have, if you have all, all five fingers, your toes, if you're able to walk, um, if you can breathe. Of course, with allergies, I guess not everybody can breathe like all the same. Um, you know, but the fact that you have clothes that you can wear, probably a change of clothes, you probably are not wondering where your next meal's coming from. If you have a vehicle, I mean, I, you could just go on and on and on. Stuff that we just take for granted, which actually gets to one of the things that, uh, from the science of happiness, um, there's a, a concept that talks about that. Um, another thing that I'll talk about, and again, because of the lack of time, I'm blazing through some of this, but another thing that I'll talk about I refer to as circles of influence. I'm sure there's other names. And then how many people are familiar with the serenity prayer? 
What's the basic idea? Anybody? Only worry about what you can control. Yeah. Um, it's in the what again what I refer to as circles of influence, there's there's two options if you can see Try to pay attention to the lines that I drew and not all the other lines on the board. Um, so there's two scenarios. I've heard people, therapists, do this with hula hoops, and there's, again, lots of ways to illustrate it. This is a basic concept. This is all of the stuff, the, the outer circle is all the stuff going on in your life, and the inner circle is stuff that you have within your control and then in between is everything that's outside of your control and so in this scenario here a person is focusing a significant portion of their thought world on things that they have no control over and then a little bit of time on the things they do have control over I don't really have a whole lot of control over who happens to be in, a, in political office um, I do have control over like whether I vote or I guess I could volunteer for a campaign or something like that. You know, there, there's lots of things that we can focus on, some in our control, some out of our control. People that spend most of their thought world on things that they actually have control over tend to be a lot happier. And so that's one thing I think is, is worth talking about and bringing up um, because if you're constantly focused on things that are your circumstances that you don't have any control over, you're just going to be frustrated, worried, upset, and things like that. <clears throat> I have control over the fact that I could set the bottle up right. Uh, so that's one thought. Um, <clears throat> in, are there any scriptures that come to mind? On the topic of happiness, any any you want to share? This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Yeah. There's a lot that talk about um, being happy or blessed. Um, there's there's a few that w when I was looking, I was uh, asking the question: Is there anything I can? do that leads to happiness and two that uh, came up were one is Proverbs 16 verse 20 um, that said when you trust in God you're going to be more happy and then in Proverbs 29 18 those that keep the law find happiness um, I'm always careful when I talk about trusting in God because um, if someone deals with worry if you just say to them, oh, you just got to trust God, that's, that's kind of an accusation. Like, well, clearly you're not trusting God enough. And, and if you would do that more, you wouldn't have this worry. So I, again, try to be careful with that. Um, <clears throat> how, does, so, how does joy fit in? Is joy and happiness, is there a, a common link there? Uh, scripture deals a lot with be joyful in your circumstances. Uh, e even as James says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. So, 
is is it possible to find joy and happiness in the midst of that, or are they two separate uh, processes? Well, like I was saying earlier, I think joy is a, something that's deeper and more solid. And the other part I normally talk about related to pain, like if you're dealing with uh, trials, uh, we think pain equals bad. The reality is that often pain equals growth, and, and there's scripture that talks about this, how it you know, like leads to uh, suffering, which leads to endurance, and, you know, and pain often equals growth, so if you um, are willing to endure it and don't try to avoid it, um, if you choose to let it, it can lead to growth, and when, when you're growing, it's a lot easier to have joy or happiness. So I don't know if that exactly answers your question, but that's what comes to mind. So if Do you have some commentary? Well, I'm just thinking about the, the pursuit of happiness versus the pursuit of joy. In, in a marriage experience, we promise on our wedding day that we're going to love, honor, and cherish each other until death do we part. Through sickness, through health, through good times, through bad times, through wealth or, or poverty. Well, those things don't necessarily invite happiness. Like, nobody likes... Nobody's happy when they don't have any money in the bank or if they're not feeling well. Uh, but it seems like New Testament is encouraging us to look even be above the happiness pursuit and focus on the joy that can exist. Because maybe happiness is more circumstantial. If your circumstances are working well, then you're happier. And happiness, I think, for a lot of people, uh, it's more of an emotion. Uh, and, and it's more fleeting, and so, and apparently, don't I'm, don't consider myself an expert on this, but in uh, the the phrase pursuit of happiness used to either be or mean something more like this, the pursuit of property, um, but it we we read pursuit of happiness, and uh, I think it's unfortunate that uh, in our society. We're, that's just instilled in us that that's what we're supposed to do and we've got a God-given right to pursue happiness and in doing so um, we end up creating less happiness uh, because that's not really what we should be if focused on if we're more focused on something like growth and loving and serving other people that's what's actually going to lead to that more substantial joy so <clears throat> A lot of the material that I've got to share that we'll see if I can get to. Uh, there's a woman named Lori Santos, who's a cognitive psychologist at Yale University, and she uh, noticed that there were a lot of students that were way overstressed. Uh, there was a study in 2017 that showed like 40% of students being too depressed to function a lot of the time. 40%. And 60, feeling overwhelmingly anxious a lot of the time. And 50, feeling very helpless. And so she decided to create a class on the science of happiness. And it became, uh, by far and away, the most attended class ever at Yale University. So there's clearly a need there. People wanted to find out. And so some of the things that she talks about, as far as misconceptions, um, 
And if anybody's interested, um, there's a podcast I could show you to that, that would talk more about this stuff. Um, since I'm, you know, don't have time to go deep into it, we're bad at affective forecasting. And so the thing, like our intuitions about what tends to make us happy, are are not very good. Uh, for instance, a lot of times people think that if I have a better salary, or for students, it's like if I have a better grade, then I'll be happier. And there's a problem with that, uh, because one, that doesn't tend to make us happier. Um, but what, in pursuing either a better salary or perfect grades, we end up spending a significant a significantly larger amount of time working towards those things, one of the things that actually leads to happiness is having more time, something called time affluence. Um, but when you're pursuing things that you think will make you happy and you're carving away, you're eating away at the amount of time that you have, then you're, you're basically shooting yourself in the foot. And according to what they were saying, if... if once you hit about $75,000 salary, um, going much more than that is not going, there's not a, a correlation with greater levels of happiness. And, and I know people, I've known of people that were rich and miserable. So clearly there's not a perfect correlation with the amount of money you have and whether or not you're uh, happy. Um, same thing with grades. You know, there's actually an inverse relationship with grades and well-being um, for that same thing I was just talking about. Um, and it's not about your circumstances. Unless you're in extreme poverty or something like that, which I'm just going to guess most people hear that that's not true. Um, but there, after about six months after either something great like winning the lottery or becoming a paraplegic, most people tend to reset the, to their level of happiness prior to that event happening. So um, that just is evidence that it's not about circumstances because um, we, we tend to get used to whatever circumstances we're in. And so that striving for something more, um, once you get that more, it's not going to last all that long. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about that in another second. Uh, we tend to compare. This was interesting. There was a study where the option, you, you're given two options. One is you can earn $50,000 in an office where everybody around you made $25,000. Or you could earn $100,000, twice as much in an office where everybody else around you made a quarter of a million dollars. And half of the people in that study said they would prefer to have make the $50,000, which sounds crazy, but, but there's a lot of people because that, that, that's just what matters so much is it's more about compared to others, how do I feel, which I don't recommend because comparing self to others is one of the two main elements of pride. Uh, not good. 
Um, there was one study where a person in a certain neighborhood, if they won a contest and got a brand new car, that the, their neighbors were twice as likely as normal to buy a new car uh, much sooner. Um, and then this idea of hedonic adaptation. Um, you've probably heard the word hedonism. You know, like, what are the things that make you feel good? Um, the problem is that when we get, when we experience something that feels good, the effect doesn't last as long as we might want it to. And so, you know, if you, if you have, one example I used to give is, if, if you went with, let's say you're a little kid and your parent takes you to Dairy Queen and you get a blizzard. Who doesn't like blizzards? Anybody? Okay, blizzards are good. Um, <clears throat> if, let's say you did that once every three months. You're really going to enjoy that because it's a treat. Now let's say it's same exact circumstance except for the frequency that happens every single day. Are you going to enjoy each of those blizzards the same? Probably not because you, you just get used to it. Or it's the same thing like if you have um, some good meal uh, or dessert, the first bite is probably a lot more enjoyable than the last bite. I have had some meals where every single bite was good, so that can happen, but in general, you, you just sort of get used to it, and that's hedonic adaptation. So that's, again, if we think, oh, I need to get this, or I need to achieve this, well, once you get it, you know, if it's like that new car, a week or two later, it's just like, oh, this is the thing that gets me from point A to point B. Um, and so it's not good just striving for those things because they're not going to have the intended or desired effect. And then impact bias. Um, your prediction of how good or bad something will make you feel. Uh, we over-struggle to avoid things that we think will make us feel bad, and we over-struggle to obtain things that we think will make us feel better. Does that make sense? Our, again, going back to our perception of what's actually going to make me feel good. And for a lot of people in what the world considers success is fame, wealth, power, productivity, beauty, um, intelligence. And if we're striving for those things that the world says make, make us happy and we're spending so much effort, then we end up not actually getting it because that's not what really brings happiness. So what does work? Um, <clears throat> simple, simple things that actually work, um, and it's a matter of doing them on a regular, consistent basis. And I've got 10 minutes to tell you these things. Um, doing something like 10 minutes of mindfulness or meditation a day, uh, five minutes at the end of each day, just thinking about what you're thankful for. Uh, taking time for your friends and family. Relationship, I could easily spend the whole time just talking about the, the importance and 
vitalness of being with people um, and enjoying rich relationship because I'm biased, but I think that life is all about relationship. And so the more effort and energy you put into building rich relationships, whether that be with a spouse or friends or family, uh, that's, that's where goodness comes. Um, and of course, exercise and sleep, getting the, the proper amount of exercise and sleep, and you could probably throw in nutrition there. Just simple, basic uh, self-maintenance things that are so easy to ignore or skip. And again, if you're striving, like I've got to earn X number of dollars so I don't have time for a good workout routine, um, you, you don't realize you're actually working against yourself. Uh, finding a job or an activity that where you can exercise your character strengths, and that could be things like uh, virtues like learning or curiosity or bravery or leadership or social connection or, you know, different fruits of the spirit. Everybody has different strengths. And when you can have a vocation, a job or a hobby where you get to exercise those strengths, so finding out what they are and then living them out, that's very powerful. Um, and then time affluence. Um, <clears throat> One of the ideas I talked about was trading off money for time. Um, for some people, taking a lower paying job with fewer hours is, is a net gain. Um, if you can afford something like a maid or a Roomba, that, that can be helpful. And not everybody can, I recognize <laughs> that. But um, Finding little things like that. Another example I heard in the podcast, the guy talked about <clears throat> when Uber and Lyft were first starting up and their prices were really low, he started um, using Uber to get back and forth to work instead of just driving. And so it gave him extra time to do or take care of things um, instead of having to focus on the road. And for him, that was a valuable trade-off because it expanded the amount of time he had to do things. Um, sometimes I'll take just like this coming Friday I'm blocked off an extra hour for lunch and I'm going to have a, a meeting with a friend and just breaking up the normal day um, or taking like a half day vacation whether that's to knock out some projects or to get a massage or just relax um, and then they also suggest scheduling nothing like go into your calendar block off 90 minutes and just put nothing in it if at all possible don't pre-plan what you're going to use that time for and, and try to be committed to actually keeping that appointment and then once you get there you, you figure out what you want to do and try not to just use it scrubbing floors or something um, <clears throat> There's something called negative visualization. I'm guessing my wife Ashley won't like this one that much, um, but it's been shown to, to be helpful and effective. Um, the idea, and this is sort of from the Stoic philosophy, start every day 
meditating on or imagining that, so, like the worst things you can imagine, like your spouse is going to leave you, your kids or a relative is dying, or, or you know something bad like your house burns down. You're right. I don't like that. <laughs> there, but there's more. Because if you do that and then you get stuck in traffic, it doesn't seem so bad. It's like, oh, at least this stuff didn't happen. Um, which, you know, for some people may work great. Other people might think that's a horrible idea. But it doesn't have to be that extreme either. It could be something like you wake up and before you get out of bed, you just spend a little time imagining, like let's say you're in a house and you used to live in an apartment. And you just take a little time imagining that you're still at the apartment and it's smaller and the appliances aren't as nice and um, you have to walk up and down three flights of stairs and some other things like that. And then you get up and you're like, oh wow, I'm in a much better place. And that's something that can, if you do that well, can fight that concept of hedonic adaptation because, you know, you get into the new house and you get used to it pretty quick. But if you can think about what it's like to not have it, it's really just promoting gratitude. Um, <clears throat> and if you can actively practice gratitude, that's, that's one way you could do that. Um, Sounds a lot more encouraging, practicing gratitude, than focusing on uh, yeah. the worst case scenario. I, I'm not claiming that I use that one. But it's, it's something that works. Research. Yeah, it works for some people. And I also think about the first time my brother and sister went to uh, went on a backpacking trip before I knew anything about backpacking. Or I'd say I know about 5% of what I should have known. So I had a we, way overpacked. And we didn't arrive till like 11 at night. And it was downpouring. We didn't even get to the first back, the actual campsite the first night, and so we just had to find some space that was big enough for tents. And it was not pleasurable. I mean, there were some good things about it, but there were plenty of things that I would easily put in the category of uncomfortable, significantly uncomfortable. You know, sh shoulders were all tight because of all the way too heavy backpack and all this kind of stuff. And the shower that I had when I got back from that trip was the best shower I had ever experienced. And it really wasn't all that different than all the other showers, but because I had been in a place that was in great discomfort, um, it made me appreciate. And again, the quality of the shower wasn't really that different. Maybe I had it a little hotter, maybe I stayed in a little longer, but, but it's just a shower. But I had a very different perspective on it just because of the experience I'd gone through. Um, <clears throat> one thing they talked about with hedonic adaptation, they found through studies that commercials actually make people enjoy TV more, which sounds weird. Like, I don't like commercials. But what happens is, even if, even if it wasn't a commercial, just the fact that the show that you're watching gets paused um, then once it starts back up, you feel better about it and you enjoy it more. The same thing like if you have a cupcake and you 
eat it and then you keep eating it, it doesn't get it doesn't stay as good, but if you ate one bit and then you set it aside and then had some later, assuming it's not stale, you're going to enjoy those bites more. Um, spending money on experiences instead of things, I could easily have spent the whole time in a soapbox on how we live in this consumer society and we think things make us feel good, and in a lot of people, it, it almost feels like the way that we're uh, brainwashed, if we're breathing, we have to be obtaining things, and it's just not true, um, but, you know, if the example they gave was, instead of buying a new car, go on a trip to Europe, which again, not everybody's got that option, but... Um, if you get a new car, it also is something like doing, spending money on experiences instead of things can promote social engagement because if you're, um, if you get a new car and you, if you talk to people like, hey, look at this cool new car I got, that's not something people think very highly of if you're like bragging about your car, but people love, you know, like if you're saying, oh, I just went to, Florence and you're talking about all these cool things that happen, you know, you're going to engage about that better. Um, <clears throat> and then engaging socially. Um, research shows when people are encouraged to be more social, they end up happier. They did some study where they took people on a subway and half of them they said, um, we want you to take this time to just close your eyes and, you know, just meditate on um, the time that you have to yourself. And then they had other people that uh, they said, we want you to connect with somebody else on the subway. And regardless of whether they were introvert or extrovert, they would, they would often predict, oh, just sitting by myself and thinking would, would be better. I can meditate. That'll be good. But the actual end result again, regardless of introvert or extrovert, they felt happier engaging with someone else. And there's all these different micro-interactions that we can have, like just looking people in the eyes, um, smiling at someone. Yet again, something I could have spent the whole time on is talking about our phones and how that just robs us of time and joy and opportunity to interact with people and um, if you have a half half a minute while you're in a line you know what what may used to be more common is that you're looking around maybe you're talking to somebody but now it's just like oh I've got some time so I'm gonna look at my phone and catch up on the news or play a little game and it just cuts out time with people it does not make you happier um, and then the last two things I'll just mention, um, you could easily have a whole class on getting rid of stuff. Um, has, has anybody watched that tidying up program, seen some head nods? Ash and I watched, we only watched one, but it was pretty clear that the, when you have more stuff, you have to spend more time maintaining that stuff, cleaning that stuff, and again, it just cuts out from your time affluence. And so getting rid of things, one, it's, it's a better 
uh, environment and when you, um, the state of your house or room affects and reflects the state of your mind. And so having a place that's less likely to get messy in the first place um, and you don't have to spend time maintaining it is going to be better. And there's a documentary on Netflix called Minimalism that also goes along with some of these ideas that just, I think it's good to aim for getting rid of stuff because we have this false belief that if we have more stuff, or in, in a lot of times we feel really good while we're purchasing the item, and then like a week later, it's, it's just sitting there or it ends up in storage and it doesn't actually lead to happiness. Um, so, simplify, I'll say, my sister at their last house, she had painted above their front door, um, simplify, simplify, simplify. And when I saw that, I was like, can you just have the word simplify? <laughs> <one time?" laughs> and that make more sense? Um, <clears throat> I could have elaborated more, but given that we only had a half hour, I was just blazing through all of that material, so hopefully that was helpful. I got a question. What was yes? that? podcast you mean. Oh yeah. Um so the name of the podcast is um uh, After On and I think it's episode yeah, episode 38 of the After On podcast. Lori Santos in the Science and Practice of Happiness which was came out on October 23rd of this past year, 2018. Um, so, any any other thoughts, comments, for a wrap up? All right. Thank you, Tracy. Appreciate it. Well. <laughs>